Section 7 of Ben the Luggage Boy or Among the Wharves by Horatio Alger Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tori Falder. Chapter 13 The First Cigar. It was a week or more after Ben started in business as a baggage smasher that in returning from carrying a carpet bag to Lovejoy's Hotel on Broadway, he fell in with his first city acquaintance, Jerry Collins. Jerry had just polished up a gentleman's boots, and, having been unusually lucky this morning in securing shines, felt disposed to be lavish. "'How are you, Ben?' asked Jerry. "'What are you up to now?' "'I'm a baggage smasher,' answered Ben, who was beginning to adopt the language of the streets. "'How does it pay?' "'Well,' said Ben, "'sometimes it pays first rate when I'm lucky. Other days I don't get as much to do. I didn't make but fifteen cents this morning. I carried a bag up to Lovejoy's, and that's all the man would pay me.' I've made 50 cents this morning. Look here, Johnny. The Johnny addressed was a boy who sold cigars, four for 10 cents. I'll take two, said Jerry, producing five cents. Six cents for two, said the cigar boy. All right, I'll owe you the other cent, said Jerry coolly. Do you smoke, inquired Ben. In course I do, don't you? No. Why don't you? I don't know, said Ben. Do you like it? It's bully. Here, take this cigar. I bought it for you. Ben hesitated, but finally, induced mainly by a curiosity to see how it seemed, accepted the cigar and lighted it by Jerry's. The two boys sat down on an empty box, and Jerry instructed Ben how to puff. Ben did not particularly enjoy it, but thought he might as well learn now as any other time. His companion puffed away like a veteran smoker, but after a while, Ben's head began to swim, and he felt sick at his stomach. I don't feel well, he said. I guess I'll stop smoking. Oh, go ahead, said Jerry. It's only because it's the first time. You'll like it after a while. Thus encouraged, Ben continued to smoke, though his head and his stomach got continually worse. I don't like it, gasped Ben, throwing down the cigar. I'm going to stop. You've got a healthy color, said Jerry slyly. I'm afraid I'm going to be awful sick, said Ben, whose sensations were very far from comfortable. Just at this moment, ignorant of the brief character of his present feelings, he heartily wished himself at home for the first time since his arrival in the city. You do look rather green, said Jerry. Maybe you're going to have the cholera. I've heard that there's some cases round. This suggestion alarmed Ben, who laid his head down between his knees and began to feel worse than ever. Don't be scared, said Jerry, thinking it time to relieve Ben's mind. It's only the cigar. You'll feel all right in a jiffy. While Ben was experiencing the disagreeable effects of his first cigar, he resolved never to smoke another. But, as might have been expected, he felt differently on recovering. It was not long before he could puff away with as much enjoyment and unconcern as any of his street companions, and a part of his earnings were consumed in this way. It may be remarked here that the street boy does not always indulge in the luxury of a whole cigar. Sometimes he picks up a fragment which has been discarded by the original smoker. There are some small dealers who make it a business to collect these stubs or employ others to do so, and then sell them to the street boys at a penny apiece, or less, according to size. Sometimes these stubs are bought in preference to a cheap cigar, because they are apt to be of a superior quality. Ben, however, never smoked stubs. In course of time, he became very much like the other street boys, but in some respects his taste was more fastidious, and he preferred to indulge himself in a cheap cigar which was not second-hand. We must now pass rapidly over the six years, which elapsed from the date of Ben's first being set adrift in the streets to the period at which our story properly begins. These years have been fruitful of change to our young adventurer. They have changed him from a country boy of 10 to a self-reliant and independent street boy of 16. The impressions left by his early and careful home training have been mostly effaced. Nothing in his garb now distinguishes him from the class of which he is a type. 
He has long since ceased to care for neat or whole attire or carefully brushed hair. His straggling locks, usually long, protrude from an aperture in his hat. His shoes would make a very poor advertisement for the shoemaker by whom they were originally manufactured. His face is not always free from stains, and his street companions have long since ceased to charge him with putting on airs on account of the superior neatness of his personal appearance. Indeed, he has become rather a favorite among them, in consequence of his frankness and his willingness at all times to lend a helping hand to a comrade temporarily hard up. He has adopted to a great extent the tastes and habits of the class to which he belongs, and bears with acquired philosophy the hardships and privations which fall to their lot. Like Ragged Dick, he has a sense of humor, which is apt to reveal itself in grotesque phrases or amusing exaggerations. Of course, his education, so far as education is obtained from books, has not advanced at all. He has not forgotten how to read, having occasion to read the daily papers. Occasionally, too, he indulges himself in a dime novel, the more sensational the better, and is sometimes induced to read therefrom to a group of companions whose attainments are even less than his own. It may be asked whether he ever thinks of his Pennsylvania home, of his parents and his sister. At first he thought of them frequently, but by degrees he became so accustomed to the freedom and independence of his street life, with its constant variety, that he would have been unwilling to return, even if the original cause of his leaving home were removed. Life in a Pennsylvania village seemed slow compared with the excitement of his present life. In the winter, when the weather was inclement and the lodging accommodations afforded by the street were not particularly satisfactory, Ben found it convenient to avail himself of the cheap lodgings furnished by the Newsboys Lodging House. But at other times, particularly in the warm summer nights, he saved his six cents and found a lodging for himself among the wharves or in some lane or alley. Of the future, he did not think much. Like street boys in general, his horizon was limited by the present. Sometimes, indeed, it did occur to him that he could not be a luggage boy all his lifetime. Some time or other, he must take up something else. However, Ben carelessly concluded that he could make a living somehow or other, and as to old age, that was too far ahead to disquiet himself about. Chapter 14. The Passenger from Albany. Ben did not confine himself to any particular pier or railway depot, but stationed himself now at one, now at another, according as the whim seized him, or as the prospect of profit appeared more or less promising. One afternoon he made his way to the pier at which the Albany boats landed. He knew the hour of arrival not only for the river boats, but for most of the inward trains, for this was required by his business. He had just finished smoking a cheap cigar when the boat arrived. The passengers poured out, and the usual bustle ensued. Now was the time for Ben to be on the alert. He scanned the outcoming passengers with an attentive eye, fixing his attention upon those who were encumbered with carpet bags, valises, or bundles. These he marked out as his possible patrons and accosted them professionally. Smash your baggage, sir, he said to a gentleman carrying a valise. The latter stared hard at Ben, evidently misunderstanding him, and answered erasably, Confound your impudence, boy. What do you mean? Smash your baggage, sir. If you smash my baggage, I'll smash your head. Thank you, sir, for your kind offer, but my head ain't insured, said Ben, who saw the joke and enjoyed it. Look here, boy, said the puzzled traveler. What possible good would it do you to smash my baggage? That's the way I make a living, said Ben. Do you mean to say any persons are foolish enough to pay you for destroying their baggage? You must be crazy, or else you must think I am. Not destroying it, smashing it. What's the difference? Here a person who had listened to the conversation with some amusement interposed. If you will allow me to explain, sir, the boy only proposes to carry your valise. He is what we call a baggage smasher, and carrying it is called smashing. 
Indeed, that's a very singular expression to use. Well, my lad, I think I understand you now. You have no hostile intentions then? Nary a one, answered Ben. Then I may see fit to employ you. Of course, you know the way everywhere. Yes, sir. You may take my valise as far as Broadway. There I shall take a stage. Ben took the valise and raising it to his shoulders was about to precede his patron. You can walk along by my side, said the gentleman. I want to talk to you. All right, governor, said Ben. I'm ready for an interview. How do you like baggage smashing, as you call it? I like it pretty well when I'm working for a liberal gentleman like you, said Ben shrewdly. What makes you think I am liberal, asked the gentleman, smiling. I can tell by your face, answered our hero. But you get disappointed sometimes, don't you? Yes, sometimes, Ben admitted. Tell me some of your experiences that way. Last week, said Ben, I carried a bag and a thunder and heavy one from the Norwich boat to French's hotel. A mile and a half, I guess it was. And how much do you think the man paid me? Twenty-five cents? Yes, he did, but he didn't want to. All he offered me first was ten cents. That's rather poor pay. I don't think I should want to work for that myself. You couldn't live very high on such pay, said Ben. I have worked as cheap, though. You have, said Ben, surprised. Yes, my lad. I was a poor boy once, as poor as you are. Where did you live? asked Ben, interested. In a country town in New England. My father died early, and I was left alone in the world, so I hired myself out to a farmer for a dollar a week and board. I had to be up at five every morning and work all day. My wages, you see, amounted to only about 16 cents a day and board for 12 hours work. Why didn't you run away? inquired Ben. I didn't know where to run to. I suppose you ain't working for that now, said our hero. No, I've been promoted, said the gentleman, smiling. Of course, I got higher pay as I grew older. Still, at 21, I found myself with only $200. I worked a year longer till it became 300 and then I went out west to Ohio, where I took up a quarter section of land and became a farmer on my own account. Since then, I've dipped into several things, have bought more land, which has increased in value on my hands. Till now, I am probably worth $50,000. I'm glad of it, said Ben. Why? Because you can afford to pay me liberal for smashing your baggage. What do you call liberal, inquired his patron, smiling. 50 cents, answered Ben promptly. Then I will be liberal. Now, suppose you tell me something about yourself. How long have you been a baggage smasher, as you call it? Six years, said Ben. You must have begun young. How old are you now? Sixteen. You'll soon be a man. What do you intend to do then? I haven't thought much about it, said Ben with truth. You don't mean to carry baggage all your life, do you? I guess not, answered Ben. When I get to be old and infirm, I'm going into some light, genteel employment, such as keeping a street stand. So that is your highest ambition, is it? asked the stranger. I don't think I've got any ambition, said Ben. As long as I make a living, I don't mind. When you see well-dressed gentlemen walking down Broadway or riding in their carriages, don't you sometimes think it would be agreeable if you could be in their place? I should like to have a lot of money, said Ben. I wouldn't mind being the president of a bank or a railway director or something of that kind. I am afraid you have never thought seriously upon the subject of your future, said Ben's companion, or you wouldn't be satisfied with your present business. What else can I do? I'd rather smash baggage than sell papers or black boots. I would not advise either. I'll tell you what you ought to do, my young friend. You should leave the city and come out west. I'll give you something to do on one of my farms and promote you as you are fit for it. You're very kind, said Ben more seriously, but I shouldn't like it. Why not? I don't want to leave the city. Here there's something going on. 
I'd miss the streets and the crowds. I'd get awful lonesome in the country. Isn't it better to have a good home in the country than to live as you do in the city? I like it well enough, said Ben. We're a jolly crowd and we do as we please. There ain't nobody to order us round except the cops, and they let us alone unless we steal or something of that kind. So you are wedded to your city life? Yes, I guess so, though I don't remember when the wedding took place. And you prefer to live on in your old way? Yes, sir. Thank you all the same. You may change your mind sometime, my lad. If you ever do, and will write to me at B. Ohio, I will send for you to come out. Here is my card. Thank you, sir, said Ben. I'll keep the card, and if ever I change my mind, I'll let you know. They had been walking slowly, or they would have reached Broadway sooner. They had now arrived there, and the stranger bade Ben goodbye, handing him at the same time the fifty cents agreed upon. He's a brick, Ben soliloquized. Even if he did say he'd smash my head, I hope I'll meet some more like him. Ben's objection to leaving the city is felt in an equal degree by many boys who are situated like himself. Street life has its privations and actual sufferings, but for all that, there is a wild independence and freedom from restraint about it, which suits those who follow it. To be at the beck and call of no one, to be responsible only to themselves, provided they keep from violating the law, has a charm to these young outcasts. Then again, they become accustomed to the street and its varied scenes, and the daily excitement of life in a large city becomes such a matter of necessity to them that they find the country lonesome. Yet, under the auspices of the Children's Aid Society, companies of boys are continually being sent out to the Great West with the happiest results. After a while, the first loneliness wears away, and they become interested in the new scenes and labors to which they are introduced, and a large number have already grown up to hold respectable and, in some cases, prominent places in the communities which they have joined. Others have pined for the city until they could no longer resist their yearning for it, and have found their way back to the old familiar scenes to resume the former life of suffering and privation. Such is the strange fascination which their lawless and irresponsible mode of life oftentimes exerts upon the minds of these young Arabs of the street. When Ben parted from the passenger by the Albany boat, he did not immediately seek another job. Accustomed as he was to live from hand to mouth, he had never troubled himself much about accumulating more than would answer his immediate needs. Some boys in the lodging house made deposits in the bank of that institution, but frugality was not one of Ben's virtues. As long as he came out even at the end of the day, he felt very well satisfied. Generally, he went penniless to bed, his business not being one that required him to reserve money for capital to carry it on. In the case of a newsboy, it was different. He must keep enough on hand to buy a supply of papers in the morning, even if he were compelled to go to bed supperless. With 50 cents in his pocket, Ben felt rich. It would buy him a good supper, besides paying for his lodging at the newsboy's home, and a ticket for the old Bowery besides. That is a 15-cent ticket, which, according to the arrangement of the day, would admit him to one of the best-located seats in the house. That is, in the pit, corresponding to what is known as the Paraquet and other theaters. This arrangement has now been changed, so that the street boys find themselves banished to the upper gallery of their favorite theater. But in the days of which I am speaking, they made themselves conspicuous in the front rows and were by no means bashful in indicating their approbation or disapprobation of the different actors who appeared on the boards before them. Ben had not gone far when he fell in with an acquaintance, Barney Flynn. Where are you going, Ben? inquired Barney. Going to get some grub, answered Ben. I'm with you then. I haven't eaten anything since morning and I'm awful hungry. Have you got any stamps? I've got a 50. So have I. Where are you going for supper? To Pat's, I guess. All right, I'll go with you. 
The establishment known as Pat's is located in a basement in Nassau Street, as the reader of Mark the Matchboy will remember. It is, of course, a cheap restaurant and is considerably frequented by the street boys, who here find themselves more welcome guests than at some of the more pretentious eating houses. Ben and Barney entered and gave their orders for a substantial repast. The style in which the meal was served differed considerably from the service at Delmonico's, but it is doubtful whether any of the guests at the famous uptown restaurant enjoyed their meal any better than the two street boys, each of whom was blessed with a healthy appetite. Barney had eaten nothing since morning, and Ben's fast had only been broken by the eating of a two-cent apple, which had not been sufficient to satisfy his hunger. Notwithstanding the liberality of their orders, however, each of the boys found himself at the end of the meal the possessor of 25 cents. This was not a very large sum to sleep on, but it was long since either had waked up in the morning with so large a capital to commence operations upon. "'What shall we do?' asked Ben. "'Suppose we go to the old Bowery,' suggested Barney. "'Or Tony Pastors,' amended Ben. "'I like the Bowery best. There's a great fight, and a feller gets killed on the stage. It's a stunning old play.' Then let us go, said Ben, who, as well as his companion, liked the idea of witnessing a stage fight, which was all the more attractive on account of having a fatal termination. As the theater tickets would cost but 15 cents each, the boys felt justified in purchasing each a cheap cigar, which they smoked as they walked leisurely up Chatham Street. End of section 7. Recording by Tori Falder.